Good morning, church family. It is good to be here. It is good to be alive. Man, aren't, aren't you glad you were on the wake-up list today? Uh, it's true uh, what your pastor said. Uh, for the last two years, I have been battling stage 3 cancer. Um, if you go through that, you realize that everything you thought you knew about cancer, you have no clue about. Um, once you start going through the journey until they get everything taken care of and out, it's then a four or five year process before they can ever tell you there's no evidence of disease or you're cancer free. Uh, so by the grace of God, number one, I am still alive. I praise God for that. Uh, number two, thank you. Number two, God has given me the opportunity to go share his hope. And I am so thankful for you as a church. I have uh, looked at what you have done over the years and year after year I'm thankful and grateful for your cooperation with Tennessee Baptist but also with the cooperative program that you not only make a difference here in this community all across Tennessee to the ends of North America and to the ends of the earth and thank you for your willingness to reach people with the gospel of Christ and so today we're going to look at desire to pray uh, this means a lot to me because I believe because of uh, being rooted in the word of God, because I was saved at 18 years old, because somebody shared the gospel with me. Because of what the Bible taught me, it prepared me for life's toughest battle. I don't know about you, but I feel like every one of us, we go through situations, circumstances that are out of our control. But in those, how will we react? Will we raise our hands to praise God or will we raise our fist in anger? My hope is that we're going to be able to look at Scripture today of how we can prepare for everyday battles that we're going to face. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to give you a little time to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. When I got saved at 18, people would say, turn to Scripture and so-and-so. And I would, all of a sudden, everybody's there. And the pastor would start preaching. And I was like, the whole sermon trying to flip and find it. So I'm going to give you a little time to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to share a lot of my cancer journey. I'm going to talk about the power of prayer. We're going to look at how we need to start being brutally honest, number one, in our prayer life, but also in our life. We need to be willing to ask other people to pray for us. We need to be willing to, to tell people what the needs, the wants, the desires, not only to God, but to the people that we do life with. We've got to be willing to share our needs, and sometimes that's hard. We always need to be willing to give God glory, in good days or bad days. And we're going to see four ways Paul shared about the desire to communicate to God. So my hope is you're there. Let's dig into the Word of God now. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-8. through 8. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved let's go back on look at verse four look at that it doesn't matter the color of somebody's skin it doesn't matter their financial status it doesn't matter what they've done the Bible tells us in verse 4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. This is why pastors and preachers often say, look, I'm going to tell you this, I'm not lying. Hey, we're just following the words of Paul here. Paul says, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good. God, I know in a room this size, there are people that are hurting. God, there are people with questions and doubts. There are people here that have got to see victory through life's hardest battles. But God, we also know there are people that have had to face some of the most challenging things they've ever experienced. God, I'm asking that your word would penetrate our hearts today. God, would you speak through me? God, would you hide me behind your cross? God, that nobody would ever remember me or my name. God, they would remember you, Jesus, and your cross and what you did. So God, I'm asking that would you move in our midst and God, would you help us to be a people of prayer? God, would you help us to be a people of action? And God, that we would leave this place today. And as we leave the doors, God, we would enter the mission field. And God, we would be so in love with you that we can't hide your hope and we would tell the world about you. So God, would you do a work? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the last two years have been pretty challenging. Um, I, my wife and I, we had uh, went to a doctor because I went through about six months of some suffering and went to the doctor and the doctor literally rolls in on a little wheelie chair and he says, you have cancer. That's not exactly what I was hoping or even thinking I would hear. But in that moment we left and my wife and I were in shock. And I'm going to say a lot about we and how we went through this because, listen, I want to be honest with you. I didn't go through cancer alone. My family, my friends, my church, we did this together. It was very challenging. But when we got to the car, my wife looked at me and she said, Jay, would you please just be brutally honest with me? Can you share your story on social media and by the grace of God? And I'm grateful for technology because we had thousands and thousands of people that watched us and followed our journey. And I would give updates and I would give specific prayer requests. And I did all that because I believe this is what Timothy is, is learning from Paul. And as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, we can also use it today. Thousands of years later, we can look at scripture and we can see how we can be so in tune with God by communicating with him and sharing our needs with others and begging people to pray for us. So let's dig in. If The first thing, if you have your outline, you're going to see the first line here. What Paul is teaching us is petitions, supplications. This is knowing what you're lacking and intensely asking for. When is the last time you've begged God to do something in your life or someone else's life? See, this can not only be for you, but this is for other people. Are are there people around you that need a movement of God? I love going to restaurants and when I sit down and, and the waiter or waitress will come and serve me, one of the things I'll ask is, hey, either whoever I'm with or if I'm by myself or with my family, I'll say, hey, we're going to bless this food and ask God for his favor. How can we pray for you? What What would happen if God could do something big in your life? What would it be? How could we pray for that? 
And it leads to some pretty amazing conversations. But often I I feel like we forget this thing that we can do with God. When is the last time we've intensely asked God to do something in our life? See, this is when I had to get brutally honest with the Lord two years ago. I was scared for my life. Honestly, uh, there's still fear in the back of my mind. But I learned how to intensely cry out to the Lord. I begged God to heal me. Listen, I didn't just say, God, heal me. I said, God, would you heal me this side of heaven? I had hope that I would still have life left on this earth. Because if I have any breath left in me, I want to make much of Jesus. I petitioned the Lord with my deepest needs. I want you to take just an inventory in your life right now. What are you begging God for? Do you have a prayer closet at your house? Do you have a place that you do business and war against this world with God? Our God is still in the miracle working business. And can I share some good news with you? God is still in the miracle working business. I went through three or four months of not understanding. I'm like, God, why is this happening to me? God, there are a lot of people that deserve what I'm going through. God, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I love you. I'm trying to serve you. God, why me? I think it's okay for us to ask those questions. What's not okay is for us is to get mad at God and throw our fist in anger. But he wants us to commune with him and talk with him. It took us several months of me saying, God, why? There's pain, there's suffering. I have learned that I believe through life's toughest battles, circumstances or situations, through suffering, God can teach you the most. What happens is you humble yourself. You get to the point where you can really desperately seek God. But on January first my dad called me i was diagnosed well it's almost two years i was diagnosed in september of 2021 my dad called me on january 1st and i want you to get a little backstory Uh, i was raised in south louisiana i knew religion i did not know jesus but somebody shared the gospel with me at 18 years old and i was radically transformed by the gospel and for over 20 something years i shared the gospel with my family specifically my mom and dad, constantly praying for them, and I never saw anything. They would honestly honestly, kind of push me away. I don't, I don't want to hear about that. But when I was diagnosed with cancer, my mom and dad would FaceTime me every single day, and my relationship with them, maybe talk to them once a week. But after my diagnosis, it was every single day. My dad was so broken over my suffering. My dad would call me and say, Jay, I wish I could take this away from you. And if you're a dad, you completely understand that. If you're a mom or a grandparent, you understand that. You would take away any pain from somebody else, especially your kids. My dad became so broken over my sickness. And on January 1st, he went to the hospital and he found out he had stage four cancer. Three days later, my dad calls me. He said, Jay, I want to let you know I just surrendered my life to Jesus. God is still in the miracle working business. Don't give up. I believe that there are people in your life, there are people in my life, if we pray, God will save them. 
If we pray and ask God, God, would you give me the courage, give me the audacity to share the good news? I believe God can save them because that's what God's desire is. We see that in scripture in verse four, God desires everyone to come to know him. But what I found out on January 3rd or 4th, I found out that there was purpose in my pain. And as soon as I found out that there was that purpose in my pain, and I knew that there was purpose even from the get-go, I knew that, okay, people are going to be watching. How can I respond in a way that people see Jesus in me? But can I tell you, it still hurts. It's still scary. I remember at that moment, I was like, Lord... I would love to sit down at a dinner table with you and just say, could could there be another way? But what I do know is every single thing that I've gone through in my life, every single thing that you've gone through in your life has first had to be passed through the throne of God. His grace is enough. So in your prayer life right now, what are you intensely begging God to do? Second thing, prayer. See, this is covering all communication with God. You might be thinking, hold on, didn't we just cover that? There's a difference when we intensely ask and beg God for stuff, but then we need to be so in tune with God that our communication with him is unending. It's constant. It's all day long. We're just having conversations with him. And see, this covers all communication with God, even in our hardest moments. That's when we need to commune with God the most. Timothy Keller says this, once you experience God's presence and his intimacy, nothing else will satisfy you like this. This is what leads to a lifelong longing for Jesus. We can accomplish this through prayer time with the Lord. Listen, I grew up, I'm I'm Cajun, I'm from South Louisiana. And on Sundays, my grandma would cook shrimp creole. When I smell shrimp creole, I get weak in my knees. That was my first love. I would open the door of the house and it was, oh man, I I still get excited when I go back home to New Orleans. I will go to certain restaurants and when I enter some of those restaurants, I smell my grandma's cooking. And man, my mouth starts watering. There's nothing that will satisfy me until I eat that bowl of shrimp creole. Chocolate chip cookies do the same thing to me. (laughs) You see me, look, I ain't big for no reason. My wife, one day I had a bad day at work. I pulled into the garage, I opened my door of the house, and as soon as I opened that door, it was that smell of chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, hey, honey, Natalie, come on, tell me, where they at? She said, what? What are you talking about, Jay? I said, I smell the cookies. She said, oh, I got a new candle. Can I tell you, that is a sick joke. (laughs) Everything in me wanted those chocolate chip cookies. Nothing about that wax would satisfy that craving. I was tempted to taste it because there ain't no way it smelled that good, but would taste awful. See, that's what Timothy Keller here is talking about. See, once you experience God's presence and you can experience that through prayer, through spending time with him, nothing else will satisfy you in this life. See, real joy and love can only come from Jesus. Everything else is situational. There's been several key leaders in the church over the years that have just made profound differences through prayer. And listen to this. 
John Knox prayed and the results caused Queen Mary to say that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared all the armies of Scotland. Can I tell you that when you pray, God will do a work. John Wesley prayed and revival came to England, sparing the nation the horrors of the French Revolution. Jonathan Edwards prayed and revival spread throughout the American colonies. History has been changed time after time because of the power of prayer. Even when times are bleak, even when the world will scorn and push away from God, he can still work through the prayers of his people. Are you willing to be a prayer warrior? The third line you have there, intercessions. See, this is an appeal for someone. This also describes the work in us, through us, and for us. This shows the Lord that we need help and we are willing to ask others. As you pray, cry out to the Lord and get others to do it for you as well. That was one of the hardest things for me, just to be willing to share what I was going through. But can I tell you, I don't believe I would be here today if it wasn't for the power of, of God's people praying for me. And I had, to, I had to ask people specifically, would you pray for this? I had so many prayer warriors. Through social media, people shared it like crazy all across the state, the nation, and even to the, to the ends of the world. And people kept up with us. And can I tell you, because of being vulnerable, it allowed people to be used by God to, to bless us through prayer, through feeding us. Literally, our friends and family and church members fed us from September through the next May, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And praise God, only like one or two meals were bad. Because look, you know either you can cook or you can't. And we found out there were some people that could not cook. But we were so grateful. So grateful. Are you willing to be vulnerable enough to ask people to intercede on your behalf? When I look at youth ministry and, and what God has blessed me with over the years... The movements of God that I've seen have all started with prayer warriors that I've gathered in the church to say, would you pray for me? Now, I'm biased. When I get prayer warriors, I want seasoned saints. That means that they either don't have hair or their hair is white. Uh, before cancer, my goatee was black. It is tattered with gray now because of everything I've had to go through these last two years. But we need people that are willing to pray for us. And see, Paul is sharing with Timothy, listen, you can't do this life on your own. Number one, you need that relationship with Jesus. But you also need people to come alongside of you and pray with you and for you. See, this is when I had to reach out to my staff at my church. And immediately my pastor showed up at my house with his wife. Came and laid hands on me and wept with me and prayed for me. Then he said, hey, Jay, I want you to come to the office. I think it was either the next day or the day later. He said, I, I want my staff, we're going to anoint you with oil. I spent an hour of that day just weeping because my staff loved on me and they were willing to pray for me. Man, what could happen in your life if you were to humble yourself and ask, to, ask someone to intercede on your behalf and call out to God? I believe God is still in the miracle working business. 
Funny story, uh, shortly after that, I had a church in West Tennessee called me up and they said, hey, Jay, would you come and pray? And they were kind of following my journey and also had probably preached there 10 other times in the last three or four years before my diagnosis. And got there and they came and they, they, the, the leaders of the church brought me to the back. Oh, nobody was around and they, they got some oil, like a little, the, the essential oil, the real good smelling stuff. They came and they kind of like did a sign of the cross on my forehead and they were like, we've never done this, but we, we see scripture says, if anybody asks, and I said, hey, would y'all pray for me? They came and anointed me with oil and then they said, hey, before you preach, we want our church to pray for you. And everybody gathered and if they couldn't touch, my, touch me, they, they would put their arm out and, and just to show, hey, we're praying for you. And I remember I was like standing at the bottom of the stage and people were all around me, people were behind me. And as people started praying, all of a sudden I felt some dude was sitting here on the stage and starts pouring oil over me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm thinking in my head, is this Crisco? This is going to be nasty. Whatever they did, I think they used that same essential oil and they must have spent hundreds of dollars because I know like little bottles are expensive. They anointed me with, I think, peppermint oil. It was so strong that when I went home, when I entered the door, my wife was like, mm, you smell good. What is this? She was a room away. The church was willing to intercede on my behalf. And I believe because of honesty of going through my journey, people interceded on my behalf. They begged God for my healing. Doctors, in fact, would come and talk to me after surgeries, after treatments. They were saying, hey, Jay, I had a three and a half hour surgery that was supposed to last three and a half hours that ended up lasting eight and a half hours. My doctor came to me two days after my surgery because the first day I was out of it. He said, Jay, I just want to let you know that I've never felt more the presence and the power of God through somebody's surgery. And I believe it's because thousands and thousands of people were praying and interceding and begging God to heal me. It enabled me to witness to people, to nurses, to doctors. And I believe the more we ask others and humble ourselves enough to ask others to intercede, number one, it shows our humility and that's what God has called us to. If you're a believer in Christ, there was a point in your life where you had to die to yourself and trust in Jesus. And when you trust him and surrender your life to him, he comes and changes everything. And it's his life in you from that point on. The fourth most important thing that I think Paul is trying to show us here is thanksgiving. This is related to joy and grace. This is an attitude of showing gratitude. Listen, thanksgiving is not just a holiday we eat turkey. Thanksgiving is, should be the cry of our heart in our everyday life. Count your blessings. Through the hardest moments of my life when I was going through radiation and chemo. Those were the moments I had nothing else to do but count my blessings because I was scared. But when I started counting my blessings, God, God, thank you for my wife that she's taking care of me. God, thank you for my kids. My little girl would come to me and hug me and kiss me on the forehead every day and say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Never experienced pain like I experienced when I went through chemo. But in those moments of counting blessings, man, I was able to fixate on the goodness of my God. Even when tragedy occurs, God is always good. One of the greatest things I was ever taught at seminary was this. If you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. This was one of the most challenging statements I've ever heard in my life. 
To be honest, this statement changed the direction of my prayer life. My professor asked our class this. If all of your prayers were answered right now, would you be more comfortable or would your community, would your world be a better place? If all of your prayers were answered right now, would I be more comfortable or would the world be a better place? This was challenging for me. Was my prayer life fixated on me or was I urgently begging, intensely asking God to do work in other people's lives as well? Was I praying for the lost to be saved? Was I even praying, God, would you give me boldness to share the gospel with the people that I'm begging you to save? Was I praying for the sick to be healed? I had friends and even family members that were having broken friendships and marriages. Was I praying that God would heal and restore those marriages and those friendships? See, this statement changed my prayer life. And see, Paul sets that same example for us here in the text. Why does Paul give so much emphasis on prayer? Look at verse 1 and 2. See, this shows us that this pleases God. This is the result of more opportunities for, for followers to make known the name of Jesus. God gives you one command in this life to love him and love others. You can't love other people without telling him, telling them about the hope that we have in Christ. He also specifically mentions pray for your leaders. He doesn't give a party. He says if they're in office, pray for them. Maybe our communities could be changed instead of of complaining if we were to pray for our leaders. It doesn't matter what party they serve. God put them in office. Scripture tells us that. Maybe our leaders could be saved if we were to pray for them. Maybe our leaders could be saved if we would say, God, would you give me the boldness to go and share the gospel with them? Now, listen, I know you probably ain't going to have access to the president. But why not? We, why don't we start praying now that God would do a movement and a work? What's scary is I think sometimes we only pray for those leaders when the elections come. Verses 3 through 6, we see this is God's desire for the lost to know him. He says, everybody, will everybody be saved? No. God puts the responsibility on us to, to go share the good news, but God is the one that does the saving. That should help us to take a breath of fresh air of like, you don't have to do it. You don't have to, you can't save anybody, but God can. And God's scripture says he can do a work in anybody's heart because his desire is for everybody to come to know him. How can we do that? And first, you need to start praying for someone that you know is lost. Pray for them to be saved. If you don't have any lost friends, get some lost friends. They got plenty of restaurants in town I could show you. Yesterday, I went riding on the Greenway in town. Beautiful bike ride. I passed up a whole bunch of people. And I heard some of the conversations they were having. Listen, there are people in this community that need Jesus. Second, you need to get somebody to intercede on your behalf, do you have a lost friend? Man, get a seasoned saint to come alongside of you. Would you pray for them to be saved? Find some friends that know how to pray. It goes back to what that professor said. If God were to answer every one of your prayers today, would you be more comfortable or would your community be changed? And that left an impression on my heart. 
And then Paul kind of wraps it up with unity in verse 8. See, there's nothing more unifying than a church that prays together, for friends that pray together, for marriages that pray together. You got a problem with somebody? Pray for them. God will change your heart. And God could change their heart. I think one of the most compelling stories in the Old Testament of prayer and God's faithfulness can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm not going to read the text, and maybe this is some great homework for you to do this week. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. This is about Hannah. Hannah was in anguish over her inability to have a child. Her prayer was a time of pouring out her soul. She was so in tune with the Lord and her time with the Lord that other people, that they thought she was drunk. All of her attention was on her prayer time. Some of, some of us need to, be, to look like that crazy person that's in their car singing to the top of their lungs. But we need to be those people when we are praying to God, we don't care what anybody around us thinks or says. We're so in tune with him that we are just crying out to him. We're intensely asking him to do a work. We're communing with him. We're giving him thanksgiving. In the Old Testament, every time people would enter, enter the worship area, they came with thanksgiving, Psalm 100. They would enter the place with thanksgiving. We don't practice that enough. See, in Hannah's life, nothing else mattered. My question for you is this. Are your prayers like standard letters? Or is your prayer time a time where you reveal your soul to the Lord? Even though God knows all of your thoughts, all of your mind, He wants you to reveal your innermost thoughts, your desires, your dreams, your goals, and every fear you have with Him. He just wants you to commune with Him and talk with Him. The challenge is for you to adopt more of an attitude like Hannah as you pray. Don't settle for an ordinary prayer life. Pour your heart out to God. I believe I'm a prime example of that God is still in the miracle working business. When my doctors looked at me, he said, Jay, I don't know if you have three years left. I went through several months. They were trying to determine, am I stage three or stage four? And my oncologist said, Jay, if you're stage four, there's no hope. There's nothing that has been more of a burden on my soul than when that doctor said that. I feared my life, but he said, Jay, if we find out you're stage three, there's hope. I believe we, you can be cured. And I praise God that my oncologist was a believer because he said, listen, all the work I can do ain't going to happen unless God is willing to do this. But I believe God bent his ear and listened to the people that poured their heart out to him. And everything that I asked for him. I do want you to understand this. Even if God does not heal me, my God is still good. What I was able to see is that God took this suffering in my life. And he allowed it to convict and change the heart of my father and my mother. My father passed away four months after his diagnosis. My dad is with King Jesus right now. Our God is still in the miracle-working business. It, it all starts with prayer. As an 18-year-old boy, I begged God, would you, pray, would you save my father? God, would you save my mom? And guess what? It took a long time, over 20-something years later. My God is faithful. Who in this community could be saved if you 
were to pray. Now, what if? What if your prayer requests were answered right now? What would the outcome be? How many of us seek the Lord in distress? But how many of us seek God even in the good times? We must be a people of prayer. Let's be honest though. Some of you might feel that you try to talk with God, but nothing happens. My question for you is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? See, the beauty of the gospel is this. We're sinners and sin is anything that we've done to separate us from God. Look at the Ten Commandments. Have we always worshipped God the way we should? Have we ever broken the Sabbath? Have we not gone to worship when he calls us to? Have we ever disobeyed our parents? Have you ever committed adultery? Jesus said, have you ever lusted over someone? It's sin. Scripture says, do not murder. But Jesus says, if you hate somebody in your heart, if you have a license, how it's hard to not hate people when they drive bad. Just being honest. We're all sinners. We desperately need a Savior. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus saves. He left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life that we could not and never live. He then became the substitute for our sins as the sacrifice on the cross for us. See, sin leaves a debt. And every one of us have a bill that we can never pay. And the only thing to pay that debt is bloodshed. And Jesus did that for us. He laid down his life for us. Romans 10, 9 is my favorite verse of scripture that points people to how you can be saved. Because listen, for 18 years of my life, I thought salvation was, okay, as long as I'm a good person and I check all the boxes and I do this, or hey, God's going to see me as a good old boy because, man, my grandfather was a well-known man in town. I thought maybe God would give me favor because some of my family had wealth. I thought maybe God would love me because my family didn't have anything and I deserved better. The fact is, see, Paul lays it out in Romans 10, 9, how we can be saved. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the amount of money in your bank. It doesn't matter how much you do. It's what Jesus did. Scripture says this in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the grave, you will be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. But it can't just be something we know about. It has to be something that once we have the knowledge, we move it to our heart and we confess that Jesus is Lord. And we believe that God was raised from the grave. This is a promise from the word of God. If you know you're far from God today, we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Pray with me. If you're in this room and you know that you're not a believer or you struggle with that, that you feel like your, your prayer life, you call out to a God and he never hears you. Can I tell you that God does hear you? God loves you and he cares for you. And there's nothing that you need to do to clean up your act. You just need to come to King Jesus and lay down all your shame. You lay down all your sin and you give it to him and he will forgive you. I'm going to beg you not to wait. 
If you're in this place or you're watching this message, you have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And what that means is you surrender yourself to him. You confess him as Lord. You believe that what he did satisfied for our salvation. Pray with me. God, would you do a work? God, if there's somebody in this room that does not know you, God, would you call them to salvation? God, if there's somebody in this room that they, they've, been, they've been here, they, they know they know you, but they've never been baptized to, to show others, to confess to others, God, would you give them the urgency to, to do that? God, there might be families in this place or people in this place that they've been coming here, but they're not a member of the church. God, would you use this church to love on them? And God, would you give them the courage to join in membership? God, there might be people in this place that you are calling into ministry. God, would you give them the audacity to say yes to you? Doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks, God, that they just want to put the yes on the table. So God, would you do a work? God, we know it. Romans 10, 9. God, if we confess you as Lord, if you, we believe in that you, Jesus, was risen from the grave, God, your scripture says we will be saved. So God, would you do a work? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have an opportunity for invitation and response. I want to challenge you, whether it's salvation, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's for you to join the church. We're going to have ministers down here. Maybe for some of you, God has been calling you into ministry. It doesn't matter if you're 10, 15, or 95. God can use you if you're willing to lay your life down for him. But maybe some of you in this room were like me at 18 and I was scared to death to say yes to Jesus because I was scared, what will people think? We need to have an attitude like Hannah. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or does. If we know that we need Jesus, today could be the day that you come and you surrender your life to him. Because can I tell you, Jesus is still in the miracle working business. Let's stand up and we're going to sing and the invitation is open. The ministers will be down here. Let's do business with God this morning.